man looks in the abyss, there's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character. And that is what keeps him out of the abyss. I think I understand. Ladies and gentlemen, one and all, welcome to the most nihilistic episode of Nick's Nonfiction Ever. I'm your host, comic Nick Munez. Today on the show, we are reading our first ever Friedrich, Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. We will have Thus Spoke There Sutra and Human All Too Human on the show in the future. This is his like first, it put him on the scene in terms of philosophers, and he calls out all the other philosophers. He's like, this is just all these insecure people's thoughts are written really well, and then people buy it as ideas. He's not just trying to con everybody, make a quick buck. This guy is calling other people out. He has the hottest takes on nationalism. Hitler was a fan, big champion of that Ubermensch. And Nietzsche, little known fact, was a fan of the Jew. He thought they were the strongest race in Europe. That's a compliment. I'm not being xenophobic. We got two words for racism in the modern age. This is a perfect show for the doomers. There's an entire generation of people that know we are doomed to fail now. Pull those blackout shades back over your windows. Get under the covers at 1 p.m. <laughs> Nietzsche is about as counterculture as it gets. Call up your mom. Tell her it wasn't a phase. It's emo time. He's one of the best mustache wielders of all time. The thing was so heavy he couldn't even keep his own head up. You see this guy's gaze in the pictures at the end of his life, he only lived to 60. His stare could melt through steel beams. He's a legend, he had a 260 IQ apparently, that is spectrum shattering, they say the highest is 130. He doubled it. It's nine chapters today, deep into religion, everything you can, controversial topics. He didn't live the limitless life without a price. Notoriously, his personal relationships suffered. His intellect, his biggest tool, and his most tragic flaw. He invented Superman, Ubermensch. Now we revere Netflix and Oots Potato Chips. This is our blurb for the show. We gotta try to keep it silly today, because as Nietzsche said, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss will stare back. We've all fallen into the pit. I'll keep the clown in it today about the author, Friedrich. Keep it quick. We'll have him back. Born October 15th of 1844. Lived until 1966 years of overthinking things in Germany. He was a philosopher, cultural critic, composer, poet, philologist. What is that? He studies guys named Phil and a political theorist. He was born outside of a little uh, town in Germany called Leipzig to a Prussian Lutheran family. One of three kids the one to be asking the most questions. He was always a seen guy. He liked to stay on the edge. His favorite poet was the undiscovered Friedrich Holderlin, which is now popular through him. He liked the guy so much that the last chapter in this book, there's supposed to be 10 chapters, it's just lyrics to a song, and that song is called Beyond Good and Evil. I would have sung it for you guys, right? Maybe he was a castrato. Rumored he was gay as well. That should definitely be about the author. He was the youngest person ever to hold the chair of classical philology at the University of Basel in 1869. He was only 24 years old. Holding high positions in his picture for that. He's rocking the spectacles as well. The mustache was just starting to grow. 
He resigned in 1879 due to health problems, plagued him in the later half of his life, completed much of his core writings in that decade of decline. Sad life. 1889, at age 44, he suffered a collapse, and afterward his mom had to take care of him for eight years. Mom died. He dies two years later. Biggest elements of his writings include radical critique of truth. This guy loved truth more than pussy. He's uh puts into perspective genealogical critique so he's <laughs> doing racist science he does admit throughout the middle caveats he's like the individual takes precedent over everything there are white people that don't like to go camping it's just um but a majority of the hippies you find in the woods are going to be white talks a lot about this master slave morality complex we'll get into that chapter one Wrote the Ubermensch. Everybody knows about this. His first work was in 1868, Homer and Classical Philology, 1872, The Birth of Tragedy, 73, Untimely Meditations, 1874, On the Use and Abuse of History for Life, Beyond Good and Evil, 1886, another famous one, The Antichrist, 1895. Go look it up. <laughs> Let's get into this book today. Nine chapters. Our first ever Nietzsche. It's gonna get dark. It's gonna get silly. I'm already sweating out here. We got like a 60 degree day. Chapter one Who let the dogma out? He prefaces his first bestseller with a provocative question Let us suppose that truth is a woman. What then? Like I said, there are people like Nietzsche who I guess are pursuing butt play. You know what I'm saying? He's not chasing women. That's what most men spend their life doing. He is in a life-or-death pursuit of truth. So what if truth was a woman, would you? This is what most people act like. It's a kind of a joke more than a question. Nietzsche was before the time of Hosby Lion. He was the only one pondering this, and I guess in the 1800s, wenches still were lying. The point is, for the chapter, dogmatism. Most of the philosophers for his time were hacks like they didn't live what they were talking about it was a bunch of the clergy and the royalties kids were just pretending to be writers same thing was happening in socrates time they called them the sophists it's all the fakes pray the fakes get exposed it's all drake lyrics today we're up in our feelings he's going these people are using dogmatism they're not searching for truth and these are two ways you could win a woman's heart you could be truthful you could tell her I, I don't know if I love you right now but you seem like the perfect woman that I wanted blah 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 you know woo her off her feet or you could use dogmatism hey baby you're the apple of my eye you're the only one I see he's going a lot of these philosophers are just out here trying to get a piece of ass maybe he was just butthurt he took it as much as he chased <laughs> at the time he was still saying you know philosophy is a tool to uncover the truth we're not just He's the romanticist. You're going to get the idea today. He doesn't like people grifting off his movement. Nietzsche suggests the foundations of all the dogmatism is based on our childish superstitions. You know, you believe in a guy that got nailed to the cross and rose as a zombie three days later. We are built even more. We'll get into this when atheism becomes religion. Chris Hedges is what the whole book is about. You're built from birth. Is it a deity or a demon is this person a saint or are they someone trying to hijack your purity i mean my confirmation a lot of people don't even go that deep with religion but think about it in nietzsche's time religion was all that people had he's going people really fall to this dogmatism and we'll 
obviously get into later how this is used by the government, used in medical tyranny. Let's keep it in the philosophical realm for now. Freud, this silver fox, his hair was as white as all the cocaine he sniffed. He stole Pavlov's publications on the subconscious, which is, you think it's Freud's work? That guy never tied a bell to a dog, you know? He wasn't licking up dog salivation. Nietzsche was writing, even in this first chapter, parenting has a lot to do with dogmatism, which is don't question, just believe what the person is saying. That's, uh, you know, parenting. You have to say, I'm lying to you for your own good. If you go outside with a wet head, you're going to get the cold. <laughs> Where's the science, ma? So Nietzsche is, like, debunking Freud before he was even born, saying shit's going to happen throughout your life past the way you were parented that matters with who you are. Freud, oral, anal phase, arrested development, your hardened clay at one point in your life. Obviously not if you take psychedelics. Your brain is turned into clay again. You can reshape it however you want. Get what we're saying here? Neither Nietzsche nor Freud got into the world of the form as the Greek philosophers did. If you're um, experimenting with those chemicals, then you are not as susceptible to the dogma. This parental philosophy used seduction of grammar. So Freud didn't even create this parental philosophy. It was just around and he rebranded it. And Nietzsche is going, seduction of grammar is when these philosophers, these fake sophists, just put big words together to try to trick you. Oh yes, you've been imprinted with a repressed memory. Just fucking gross generalizations about your cognitive behavioral patterns. And now you're stuck in the DSM with manic depressant. Oh, some days you feel better and you feel worse on some days. Now you gotta take my drug forever and I get a kickback. It doesn't make sense. Our entire society is based around dogma. He's kind of uh, saying in this first question, who let the dogma out? You gotta question everything. Before religion, you had to question every single food you came across in the woods. Will this be the berry that kills me? We are having skepticism bred out of us. I used to have this theory. Hot people keep getting hotter. You got an ugly tech engineer, well, he's a millionaire, he gets a hot wife. Their kids are hotter, he's got a trust fund, they only marry hot kids. You know, the elite are never going to let us touch their bloodline. <laughs> I'm going to find some, like, Rothschild girl and pollute her bloodline. <laughs> hot people get hotter? Well, people are being bred to have skepticism taken out of our society. Like, nobody's questioning anything. Dogma rules. Not, I don't like it, but dogma does rule the free world. If you have the confidence, if you have everything on your side, people will just get behind it. Soul superstition. He's talking about all these fancy phrases. He uses his own seduction of grammar. A soul superstition is supposed to be a good enough faux philosophy for the masses. So, uh, <laughs> like Winston Churchill ripped off Nietzsche. Uh, religion is the opiate for the masses. He was going... Religion is the Platonism for the masses. <laughs> Fat old Churchill, he changed one word. A guy, you know, he had to be drunk from 5 a.m. till the second he fell asleep. Everybody's ripping everybody off. Dogmatism is the only thing that matters. <laughs> it's like Dr. Dogma and the DSM I just bought up. If he can convince you that the Bible, the holy book of brain functions, he can pigeonhole you into one thing, then they can 
transpose your super ego, the most fucking powerful processor in your brain, id ego, super ego. This is where the placebo relies. You can fix yourself without going to Dr. Feelgood, Dr. Dogma. Or you could just get addicted to the system and that'll work and get addicted to all the dogmas. Turn on the TV, now go get a fucking... There is only one truth and it must be looked at this way. He said anybody that's saying that is using dogma. Nobody knows the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And they make you say that in a courtroom. Yes, I swear I know the whole truth, nothing but the truth. (laughs) Another quote, check all your assumptions at the door. I will not accept any objections that are based on any kind of dogmatism. He's saying every assumption you bring into the world, you need to check it. This is where Malcolm Gladwell gets off. He's like, you have prejudice. Repent for your whiteness. Boil in the magma of reincarnation for sins. Nietzsche saying, check your assumptions at the door. Even if your assumption is that white people are the devil. (laughs) It's like uh, the Fyodor. The true value of a man is the amount of truth that he could tolerate. Nietzsche also was saying... Each man has an individual will to truth, and that is your willpower. So as much as your will can swallow the truth, that's how much willpower that you have. It's a no-bullshit zone. Thomas Hobbes was about this too. Your endeavor is the sum whole of your forces, whatever you're working towards. All these, anybody who's successful is going to be seductive with grammar. What did uh, Steve Jobs, he just wore a fucking turtleneck and some spectacles, and he has all the dogma in the world. But I do really like his quote about dogma we'll end it on the first chapter here steve jobs said who let the dogma out maybe it was this guy with the iphone your time is limited so don't waste it living someone else's life don't be trapped by dogma which is living with the results of other people's thinking don't let the noise of others opinions drown out your own inner voice most important have the courage to follow your heart and intuition he's not saying follow your dreams shoot for the moon and then land in a volcano Follow your heart and your intuition, not some smooth-talking salesman. You already know where you need to be moving and what you're doing. It's going to get a whole lot more spiritual, so I hope that wasn't too soft for you. Chapter 2, on the prejudice of philosophers. He's about to call out the whole scene, Eminem Kamikaze album. Get some... Oh, we got coffee. He says, philosophers are just like anybody... In any walk of life, these people hold their own prejudices, and the best philosophers or just people on earth, the kindest people that you're going to want to spend time with, know where their own prejudices lie. And this is a whole chapter getting deeper into your individual will to truth, and prejudices are lying to yourself unless you're able to recognize it. Nietzsche says that the will to truth is what makes us such inquisitive creatures. Otherwise, you know, you're just programmed. If you're not questioning anything, if you're just walking around, why are you not just a duck in the park trying to find bread? Let's get this bread so deep. Of all the questions that this will excite in us, what is the true value of truth itself? You know, what's the point of pursuing this shit if it doesn't matter? You could go deep a Buddhism, say this is a learning experience. So, of course, then the pursuit of truth is paramount to anything else you're going to be doing here. Nietzsche says he actually took us for a pretend fly-through of Plato's Republic. Isn't that pretty cool? All these philosophers pick up where the last guy left off, and he's going in his UFO spaceship through the Plato's Republic. And he's going, nobody's ever going to succeed trying to build a utopia. This is where we live, between good and evil. 
Somebody who comes up to the table with a prejudice isn't acknowledging the nuance to the world. Like, throughout the day, am I going to fucking cheat on my diet? That is the most you decision-making. You're in control, baby. That's autonomy. You're alive now. What makes you feel alive throughout the day? That's how you get unprogrammed. He's saying in Plato's Republic, if it's a utopia, everybody's going to be flattened out to a base level of autonomy. Sounds like social media and the eradication of personalities. He stated that a faith in opposite values is necessary. You know, (laughs) even Christians, oh my God. It's like the whole religion exists to save your eternal soul. No, I'm going to heaven after this. Even these people created a hell. It's like create a religion without a hell. Why are you taking the risk? You know, a Christian will come up to you. Well, why don't you believe in God? The worst that happens is he doesn't exist and nothing happens anyway. Well, why don't I just create my own religion where there's no hell? You don't have a really good sale here, Mr. Jehovah. (laughs) That's wild. I never thought about that. It's all between good and evil, man. This is purgatory. (laughs) We're not going to heaven. It's after this. Keep looking forward. Wait till you retire. It gets better. Trust me. Give your money now. What if nature is the true beyond good and evil? It's not too forgiving. There's no miracles. Perhaps the relationship between these so-called opposites is more complex than we know. And we'll get more deep into this with Albert Camus. He's in Absurdisms. Probably my favorite more than Nietzsche. And he's going, this is what gives us life. The polarities, the ability to laugh. My mom died this day, but I went out and got laid on the beach. That's what he wrote about in The Strangers. He's like, this day couldn't have gotten worse. It got better. Life. Viva. Nietzsche said, for every evil in the universe, there is an unrecognized good. (laughs) Think about just the news cycle today. Fear, fear, death, death. Stay in your house. What about all the nuns that are, like, sheltering homeless, getting people off drugs on the streets? None of these people get any recognition. There's so much more good in the world that's just overlooked. (laughs) I don't know, man. I think about it in a deeper sense, that for every bit of evil there has to be good. It's just yin and yang. This is like the book of Tao. For every billionaire, there are billions of kids getting cholera in Syria and that's just because we're straight up bombing them and destroying their infrastructure so maybe we could create our own religion, create a world where that doesn't have to happen but it seems like in the universe you act like a dick to someone you're going to fall down the stairs later my voice just cracked because I'm getting too nihilistic, so we've got to move it on we've got to keep it happy there's a balance in the universe, even Nietzsche thought that in psychology for instance, conscious thinking is usually the contrast from instinct. Underground man, active man. You could just go around based off of instinct. Or uh, you're thinking. We'll do this in thinking fast and thinking slow. It's basically like you have two halves of your brain, the animal circuit and then the higher circuit that can whip it into shape from time to time. Not sure if I completely believe in that. But we're doing the research. Nietzsche said... A lot of philosophers out here generally try to proclaim their objectivity, but um, their work is full of instincts and prejudices, so that they're writing not out of studies, but out of personal experience. You know, at the bottom of everyone's psyche, it's just full of prejudices. We perceive the world through our own truths. (laughs) I'm just going to sound like a hippie if we go too deep on these. This is why you have to read every single thing ever with a grain of salt. 
you cannot coast on that ape brain for too long know how to signify now i'm relaxing now i'm not nietzsche he called this anti-realism tell me that's not a seductive of language anti-realism how could something be both not real and real and i guess he was using it to trash immanuel kant and if we do have any philosophers listening immanuel <laughs> if you call yourself a philosopher you're an asshole kant is known for his circular logic he says uh materialistic atomism is proven within itself he's going it's an a priori judgment that these atoms make us and we have to mix them together then to reproduce life it's all circular he's like a a modern day alchemist <laughs> he's trying to recreate gold with the same words he started with he just needs to start playing boggle <laughs> a better example of prejudice in philosophy is Descartes he says everybody comes to the table with immediate certainties and his most famous assertion is you have to believe in something briefly to be able to entertain it you know he's famous for that quote the litmus test for intelligence is being able to entertain a thought without believing it uh Nietzsche just being a dick you know some people can't do that he's going to learn how to use both halves of your brain <laughs> first big argument we had here was Nietzsche calling out Descartes with his existential hiccup he goes this certainly only reflects a lack of reflection on what is meant by i think why am i so certain that is i that thinks that i am the cause of the thinking doesn't a thought come to me is it the thought that thinks <laughs> see when, when you read these fucking i'm trying to make this entertaining you read these philosophy books and it's just all tautologies you have to put it down for a minute <laughs> Am I thinking about thinking? Where's my thought coming from? And then you start thinking there's a ghost. We're <laughs> in two weeks we're reading super crunchers and this author is like, the computers, they're telling us what to think. It is so even back in eighteen hundreds, Descartes was tripping over himself. He's like, are my thoughts coming out of thin air? What is happening? You've heard it a million times. It feels like when you come up with something funny to say, you're like, where did that come from? This is all metaphysical. Still, nobody knows what's happening. They can't define consciousness. We have MIT super cat scans. As humans, we have to suspend belief in order to honestly, like, believe in fucking how do those magnets look through your skin? You know, it's just as good as religion. The doctor has his white lab coat on. You fucking get into those little socks in the hospital gown that's like doing the sign of the cross with the holy water. All rituals here. Kant. <laughs> this guy might not believe in cause and effect. I don't know. I'd like to try to keep it modern. These guys were postmodern in the old times. Every fucking timeline thinks that they are the most modern. <laughs> At least Nietzsche was humble enough to be like, we're going to be arguing about race for hundreds of years. And his uh, prejudices later are pretty to a T. To end this chapter... It's talking about true and false and all these philosophers they fall on the in-between Malcolm Gladwell too I mean look at the reviews for his books people point out exactly where he contradicts himself Poe but he's nerfed you know what do you what else is there to say about this even philosophers Nietzsche is just being badass here burning it to the ground he is punk chapter three the free spirit he opens up on this chapter suggesting how our Knowledge relies on a simplification of truth that makes it expressible in language than understandable to all. 
Um, we read Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. If you're into this philosophy, you got to go back and listen to that one. He builds from language up to thought, up to society, what drives man. And it all is linear to a certain degree. <laughs> Why don't politicians want to help us? Because just like you, they care about themselves more than anybody. Nietzsche is basically just doing that in this chapter. He's going, you got to have all your shit in line, make your bed. As Jordan Peterson says, the most uh, free spirit is the most disciplined will. That's the whole point. He's using the extreme opposite approach. He says the will to knowledge is built upon a refinement of our ignorance. So he's saying, chip away at your ignorance every single day. You're going to be scared to look back at yourself in the past, but... It's going to be scary to think about what you can become. And then even scarier to think about if you ignored that. He's saying the truths that philosophers come across are just, again, from hitting the grindstone, friggin' hoping the muse comes across them. He says philosophers are best when they're questioning themselves and freeing their spirits from prejudices. How did this guy come up with all this shit without taking shrooms? You know, you drop a gram of the golden teacher and everything you've been taught floats away for a few hours and you could finally have a clean slate again. This guy must have had some ergot in his water throughout his whole life. He was tripping. He says the free spirits among us thrive on isolation and independence. Through this is a difficult and dangerous life to follow. But if you truly want to, are you searching for the truth? All of these things just seem to line up. I hope it, when you read these books, for the first time you pick up a Nietzsche or a Camus, I wish I could go back and relive that experience, but you feel like you're thinking along his thing. He's saying, uh, isolationists, they all, it's a dangerous. I think it was Mark Twain. He's like, isolation is a dangerous drug. But this is how you chip away at ignorance. These really analytical fellas are onto something from time to time he says origin over effect you got to be backwards minded don't be like hopeful <laughs> see it's all nihilism he's like tear yourself down do not hope is just positively spun anxiety this isn't a real future do things to will it into existence hope sit around with your fucking dick in your hand hope yeah, yeah, you'll be saved. Yeah, trust the plan. Q. Wait, no, no, now it's March 3rd, they're saying. Can fucking save yourself. Philosophy, conspiracy, it all comes together at a certain point. It's spirituality. What is the one agent of causation that moves people to their ulterior will? He says morality isn't even what pushes us forward. So you think, like, jailing people is a good way to change their morality. Check the recidivism rates. What the fuck is it inside of people? I need to watch this movie Soul. I know it was out a while ago. I should probably just pirate it at this point. Probably could have added to the program, but it's the soul, man. What is it that's pushing all these motherfuckers? And most people do just keel over and die. You could check out any time, but you could never leave. <laughs> I'm just going to let the dogma out on myself at some point. He's saying free spirits are the strongest ones who are able to withhold the river for the longest. And he says they will often need a mask to disguise their true nature. You're not going to fit in if you're one of these people that are being too observant. Just fucking have fun. He says these free spirits need to constantly test themselves, not allow themselves to become too attached to anything or people or their fatherland or science. They are almost a spirit of detachment. 
It's like the people nowadays who are the travelers, you just got a trust fund. He's saying the sophists are mostly the attempters, the people who are calling upon for a free spirit, but are just lovers. They're just looking to peek into other people's lives around the world. Whereas Nietzsche, when he traveled, he was staying on dirt floors and he was just trying to understand the masses, which are mostly poor in other nations. You know, you're not getting a true view of the world when you're going hostel hopping. Gonna look at these stove the hobo type of people on YouTube or just view the world with nothing on their back. Those are the true people who never get recognized. Nietzsche, true outlier here. We got a Thomas Jefferson quote to end this chapter on the free spirit. It's self-explanatory. We did the whole book, go back and listen, The Science Delusion. It's got a terrible title. No one's going to click on that in the age of science religion. <laughs> it's about romanticism versus Victorianism, which is like, free spirit, are you able to decide your reality do we have autonomy versus victorianism you um are built into the society and you have to play your role and probably what's going to happen in your life is already played out then that's a religion christianity at the highest level is deterministic thomas jefferson said those who desire to give up freedom in order to gain security will have nor do they deserve either one it's the free spirit mentality <laughs> with these lockdowns man some people are glowing. Oh, there's a new strain. Have you heard about it? I, we're just going to have to be locked down forever. We were just, there were too many germs before. This is us. They love it, man. They're on a fundamental level. I know it's dangerous to say, but different people, binary ways to look at people. Even Nietzsche did it. Back into the positive spirit. Chapter four, the religious mood. Our boy, he starts us off considering the demands of Christianity give us your eternal soul why can't i make my own hellless religion renunciation of freedom renunciation of pride isn't that a funny one a lot of the churches they're like trying to get people off the streets and they're like why don't you want to get a job don't you want to provide for your family have you no pride pride is one of the seven deadly sins you gotta totally succumb to the fold what are you more powerful you got more pride than everybody Christianity also demands confidence of spirit. And above all, it's fucking selfish. Why do you join Christianity? No, no, no. Why do Jehovah's Witnesses, even it sounds like they're coming to your doorstep to save your eternal soul? Why why would you do all spend all this time your one go around on earth? It's because you're trying to save yourself. It's all self-interested. We're going to talk about I read the narcissism epidemic and I know because I'm a kid named Nick with Nick in the title, you know, it's just a recipe for uh, this kid's delusional. This book is all about the people that don't know how to recognize that the only thing they think about is themselves. <laughs> like when you're around these people, it's fucking mind blowing and exhausting, but it, it's impossible for them to have a thought, remove themselves from that idea, like the litmus test for intelligence and have an idea without themselves being a part of it. Well, how does this affect me? That's true narcissism. On the show here, I fucking bag on myself, call myself a retarded comedian, just as much as I gloat. You gotta have the fucking yin to the yang. This one's about true narcissism and religion. The religious mood, it's all self-interested. The nuns. Why does a monk even... I toe the Buddhist line from time to time. This guy is... Going out, meditating, hunger striking, not using any resources, not producing any waste for the majority of his life. 
It's so that he can transcend. It's not so that he could save this realm from fucking evil tech overlords. These people are saving themselves. All forms of religion, Buddhism, as fucking nice as you want to sound. <laughs> Even fucking Jeff Bezos, the religion of tech. This guy wants to upload his eternal consciousness into the cloud. Everybody's looking out for themselves. This is Hobbesian fight for power, self-interest. It's praxeologically along the same lines as Hobbes. They get to the fourth book, getting into the second act, and they just put it out there. Hey, we talked about dogma in the first one. Everybody's just looking out for their own best interest. Do I think this dogma helps me? Okay, well now I'm loyal to this guy. This is why throughout time there's always been a name for it, like the Buddha. Buddha wasn't one guy, it's the title of Buddha. In Christianity there's saints. What do they have in Judaism? Gargoyles. The power of uh, mystic self-denial. Like, just these echelon of people who truly are in this incarnation to help others. It's the exception. There's not a lot of this out there. Nietzsche says we lost this main tenet of um, our humanity a long time ago. And this is the exact opposite from Hobbes. I'll try to give it some contrast. Hobbes is saying we're all animals. Nature is a state of war. You better make sure you have your bonk club near you for the other cavemen. And Nietzsche and a lot of anthropologists who know we're closer to bonobos are going, what happened to our altruism? Why are we all so, especially with the masks you won't even look at other people now. Push your ram, your bumper cart, shopping carted to people. It is not fucking smile at each other out there now uh the death of god nietzsche is known for i think we get into that for a later chat or that's human all too human our next book <laughs> nietzsche has coined the death of god and that is more pertinent than ever the amount of churches in the bible belt that are abandoned people are exploring on youtube that's the new religion it's fucking wild death of god man scary times he says three out of four people for his time are raised Christian, and then two out of three adults identified. So think about that. In the 1800s, even a third of people lost their religion. He said, we stray further from the true use of religion by generation. The ideas of God from father to son are lost. Maybe trying to be poetic, Jesus to son. There's probably like a million layers to this book I'm missing. It's written in iambic pentameter. This guy's a 270 IQ. I'm an ape. He added some frills to his writing. He's talking about sovereignty, and these people shed their existence, their nationalism, and their existence to worship for sovereignty. I'm going to build my own log cabin. Look out for the family. He said organized religion demands a leisure class. We're about to get deep again. You don't really think about this. The religious mood, how it's all self-centered. No religion exists without the papal class the clergy like i said before it is inherently a bureaucracy you have to even if you're a cult which is how all religion started and then the guy dies and then people believe it a cult has the guy who takes everybody's money and bangs everybody's wife there has to be a rank system it cannot be an osmosis like tribe he cited how nobody was allowed to read in the majority of history that was the point <laughs> he bought your shit to the priest to ask him to read for you maybe teach the people one weekend no no he, only he may have financial literacy 
Kind of sounds like, oh, stay in your house, listen to us for medical advice, and you're not allowed to make money on Wall Street anymore. Things don't change. The bigger point Nietzsche said is industrialization is becoming another one of these layered religions. It's like a caste system. Why do people... Maybe it's just because of what we were taught when we were young, how India has a caste system. So do we, motherfucker. <laughs> if you learned anything from the Wall Street bet situation a while ago, you're not allowed to jump classes. They don't want you out in West Palm Beach. So industrialization, a lot of these organized anything is going to be able to extract more wealth to the top pyramids. <laughs> 6,000 years ago, the first civilization, they tell you, Egyptians, they were like, look, pyramid, everything turns into a pyramid at a certain point. Yes, I know, Illuminati confirmed. He took it deep on pessimism, fucking nihilism, nihilism, anti-natalism he got into. Whew. Middle of the book here, we are truly in the weeds, this is as deep as I'll go into the abyss. Fyodor is big on existentialism. Why am I here? I We just gotta reproduce. God wants us to trust his plan. <laughs> and then Camus is into absurdism. Like I said, your mom died and you got laid. Good things happen, bad things happen. Hey, have a kid. If that's what's gonna make you happy, Camus says, if when you fall asleep you felt like it was a day well spent, the hell with it. Nietzsche, he goes full anti-natalist. He's going... Let's stop feeding into the caste system. Let's stop feeding more offspring to the beast. It is true nihilism. He's saying at the end of the day, let's all hold hands and walk into the midnight fire. He's like, humans, he's probably right. We don't deserve a second chance. <laughs> We've proven ourselves time after time, flood after flood. Hey, nuclear holocaust. Maybe that's a new one for humans to go extinct by. It's a tough idea to be kicking around in your head with but um <laughs> this guy's pretty much right about everything not everybody should be having kids i remember i went to one of these mock congresses i bring it up from time to time on the show and one of the kids it blew my mind i never had this thought before just like first time you read a Camus, <laughs> this fucking emo kid came to the mock congress and he's like i propose a bill where nobody is allowed to have kids unless you get an approval from the state so it was, I'm not sure if he was taking the total socialist, like you have to be bred alpha through epsilon, brave new world, or he was taking the libertarian approach saying, we're not giving you government subsidies, okay? You got to be approved to have a kid now. No more anchor babies, no more six kids to spend your child support checks on diamonds. It's uh, beyond good and evil what this kid was thinking. This kid, of course, he was denied his bill. My bill was like, hey, let's make people take a uh, BMI test. And if you're under a certain amount, BMI, 20%, you're not obese, you get a tax break. And everyone's like, no, let's just charge people more for bigger sodas. No autonomy. Smart soda. I don't know. We got to be whipped into these fucking master slave paradigms, man. Mock Congress children anti-natalism it's a scary thought think about it i'm not going to tell you what to think here i'm saying play around with it i don't know what's true and do i want to raise my sperm eventually 
you know, let you take your own guess at that. Like I say, we want you to think here. And this slave paradigm, your government doesn't want you thinking. I want to go across this point. A lot of people say the lockdowns were draconian. Oh, they could tell you whatever to do. You don't have a voice. This isn't democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's been an oligarchy for about 50 years. Draconian just means they're in control. Yeah, government's not hiding that. This is Machiavellianism. That's when you are lied to for your own good. These mayors are saying, you know, we uh, everything we tell you, you're going to be 300 pounds, and that's more healthy than getting vitamin D and being outside, blah, 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 blah. What changed in January that made Gavin Newsom open up the state? Point to me specifically, scientifically, what was the medical anomaly that changed the COVID growth? What the fuck are these people even... Nothing is based in reality. Now it's Machiavellianism. We are lying to you for your own good, just like religion is probably saying, hey, you're going to go to hell if you kill people just because that imposes some sort of rules on society. Whereas crime and punishment, hey, probably doesn't fucking matter if you kill people. See, you entertain antinatalism for five minutes and you started to argue for recreationalized murder. <laughs> By the end of the hour, I'm going to be <laughs> David Blaine, black nail polish. Remember Red from Shawshank Redemption? He goes, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. We're all in these fucking prison cells here for our Machiavellian mayors. And some people like to make their prison cell comfortable. Some people... What is it? I think it might have been Kant that did the four kinds of people. Every philosopher tries to fucking pigeonhole everybody. He goes, there's adaptive reactive idealistic and creative people and like we're seeing you guys i'm on full display here this lockdown has affected everybody we're in a year in do you do you lie over sideways and just adapt do you react and create your own thing or are you just an idealist <laughs> utopia is right around the corner nietzsche his metaphysics reset on the assertion that the fundamental laws of nature are not constant. He would not have gotten along with Einstein. Actually, Einstein stood for relativity. So don't follow the rules, because there are no rules at the highest level. <laughs> I am the quantum hall monitor. <laughs> I am both in and not in the hall at once. We're off the rails. Let's go to chapter 5, epigrams and interludes. This was Nietzsche giving us a little halftime breather. Because his shit is heavy. <laughs> we just talk about ending the human race. This is basically a bunch of one-liners he wrote. He said, It is not strength, but the duration of sentiments that make good men great. Even at the gym, bro, you could put up 315 once, while I'm at the combine hitting it for 10. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> I'm thinking I won't tag all of these. The next one he said, The charm of knowledge would be small, where it not so much shame has to overcome the way to it. Was it that Tesla said all these years that I've spent in the service of mankind bought me nothing but insults and humiliation? <laughs> Again, with the sophists, the real ones are going to take their beatings. He says, under peaceful conditions, the militant man attacks himself. Astute. Woman learn how to hate in proportion as she forgets how to charm. <laughs> Ooh, this is why this guy imagine he dropped out on a first date 
gets freaking pasta thrown in his face. But being like a girl, you're losing a superpower throughout your life. Your your charm is gone. Holy crap. What is done out of the love always takes place beyond good and evil. Damn, even Mr. Sad Guy's got a soft spot. He thinks the he's like Christopher Nolan. All of his movies about death and riots, but the greatest force in the universe is love. What do you say here? When we have to change an opinion about anyone, we change heavily to his account the inconvenience he thereby causes us. So even thinking about changing your opinion about someone is giving them a second chance. It's like uh, the opposite of love is indifference. It's not hatred. It's good to have an enemy. If we're going to talk about good and evil today, you need someone to corral against fucking back and forth. That's healthy. Indifference nihilism indifference towards the human race that's the real danger he said he so when i come off all condescending like i hate people and why are you fat listeners it's because i love you it's because i know we could be doing better what did uh george carlin say behind every cynic is a disappointed idealist (laughs) it's true look a couple layers deeper jesus said to his jews the law is for servants. Love God as I love him as a son. What have we sons of God to do with morals? <laughs> so he just evened himself back out with saying morals don't matter. This one's pretty famous. I'm not sure if people just stole it from him. Insanity in individuals is something rare, but in groups, parties, nations, and epochs, it is the rule. Pretty interesting. He's saying even over periods of time, there could just be mass hypnosis. Our last one. Our vanity desires that we do best should be considered what is hardest for us. Let's go along to chapter 6. After I get a rogue piss here, mass morals. If you only knew the power of the dark side. Sipping coffee now, probably have to pee again, it's a long show. Mass morals. is. Uh, am I going to be eternally damned in Dante's Inferno? Be hung upside down and have every hair from my body plucked one by one because I just peed by a dumpster. (laughs) Morals. It's not one size fits all. Morality, it's as old as humanity. We've always been fighting about it around the fire. Is it bad to bonk old man Jenkins on the head out on his last hunt? Or do we slowly watch him get dementia and lose all of his dignity? (laughs) Mass morals. On a mass scale, now you got to get 300 million people on the same page. His take for the chapter is, all right, if I could be the Ubermensch and tell everybody what our morals should be, this should be it. And it's coming from the smartest guy ever. He's going, anything great that we have achieved or become has been the result of strict obedience. Nobody gets anything done by saying maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Holy shit, man, you got to be ruthless with how much you want to get done like you have to be disturbed to make it to this Nietzschean level and he's going if this was our mass moral we would have already been on Phobos motherfucker we would have been on Uranus we're talking about in the next coming weeks education and how we stifle the smartest kids if we dude we could be on some other level as humanity mass morals I have said and I mean this instead of project graduation at 18 we take every soft-ass American kid. You don't get to go down and get drunk, or maybe you do it after. You get taken on a bus out to the badlands of Wyoming. 
they let you out there with nothing but a 22 and a Bowie knife and you got to survive. People should go through boot camp, crawl under live mortar fire instead of just being cast out into the world with a GED and some fucking <laughs> congratulations from your guidance counselor. I want to live in Sparta. Get me out of here. His assertion is that we actually register far less than we think we do. Nobody was recognizing their endeavor, their potential, their true will. Think about when you read a book. You only take in a few words. Sometimes you got to read the sentence again. It's how much of your undivided attention can you summon at once. Don't you want to be a little bit faster, a little bit smarter tomorrow, able to comprehend a little bit more? This is why I'm saying I'm reading this Nietzsche book as a 24-year-old fucking dunce. I'm going to come across this book later in my life and realize that half of it went over my head. <laughs> so we're going to have to do Nick's Nonfiction 2.0 revamped. Nietzsche's going, again, chip away at your ignorance. It would be a mass moral to keep getting better. Nietzsche's much more of a stoic than you would have thought. Everybody's just bagging on this guy, what he's saying. In terms of women, <laughs> it's time, ladies. He says, one may feel the possesses of a woman if he can have sex with her, while another feels the possession is only worthwhile if the woman is willing to give up everything for him. Women like to think that all men are the same even, but there's a stark difference in the types of men out there. And some men, like are sexually attracted to the thought, this girl, she gave up, she's never going to sleep with another guy ever. I own her. Damn. So it could take some real kinky twists and turns inside of it. And he's going, half the other guys are just like, I fucking thank you for being with me. This is awesome. Someone's touching my penis. It's all that Nancy Friday looking at sex uh, as an activity versus owning a person. <laughs> And this is an important point. We kind of just touched on the Machiavellian mayors, but I think we are getting to this point in society where, as a mass moral, we have to reconsider whether the values of the herd trump the value of the individual. And he was talking about this in the 1800s. This has always been the issue. And this is why our founding fathers sailed an ocean on a wooden boat. You know, they were fleeing the crown. They were... This country was founded on the entire idea of sovereignty. That does not exist anymore. Nietzsche saying herd instincts <laughs> are what lead you off of a cliff. That's freaking poetic, man. This guy writing about cliff jumps before the Wild West. Hefferwufen jumping off cliffing. He's going even in the terms of the herd if we're statistically hashing out the mass morality most people don't wind up happy <laughs> when you take the 50-50 vote there's always going to be a 10% faction that doesn't want to be in the duality and so already 10% of people are happy and then 40-30% to 30 of people do like the outcome but secretly they don't they're just voting for social points it's all nutty Nietzsche is looked at as the wild one he worries that democratic sentiments may tame us and render us all equal in mediocrity. He's saying rather than building us up to the strongest man, we are kneecapping us. <laughs> We're all pulling our pants down at the urinal now, like the sped. He said a crony capitalism leads to docile and dumber masses. 
He probably saw with the dukes and the duchess my tried-out theory of hotness. This is why all the princesses do not look human. He's going, there are definitely certain classes of people, and it's because we are raised with different morals. Dude, when I went to Six Flags one time, we're talking about different classes of morals. This motherfucker, it was, you go outside. My family wasn't wealthy. I mean, we're at Six Flags. You go out midday and have your lunch in the parking lot. These people are having another take-your-home meal when you're supposed to go home. It's like 7 p.m. and this guy, he flips over a hefty bag and he just dumps out ketchup-covered trash into the wind. I was like, what the f- I mean, I don't believe in, like, big recycling and we all need to drive green cars but you sir are a fucking scumbag <laughs> this guy has no morals subjective morality it's bad when you're thinking this is the uh culture of pride that doesn't even have god anymore and i read i don't know if we do it on the channel now because i feel like i'll fucking get unpersoned like i almost was for madness of crowds i read black rednecks white liberals and it's about how both sides are the same if you look at it socioeconomically like <laughs> white privilege you know fucking i don't know man it's all just a uh, big old duality i don't want to try it into that because i'm gonna get fucking canceled when you say i'm seeing all the videos are transcribed now we got closed captions i guess i'll be happy about that treading deep water here the mass morals are we all just gonna bend over, get anal corona swabs for the greater good, literally take it in the ass? Or are we gonna stand up? I've been seeing people in Boulder standing up on the street corners with stock signs. That's real activism. I've been saying boycotts. Well, let's fucking take some money back from the big old boys. Chapter 7, We Scholars. Yes. I called all of our philosopher listeners assholes before well now it's a discussion amongst we scholars whole chapter just served to add another group to his sophist philosopher groups before the fakes and the reals he's saying that they're what's called philosophical laborers and these are the people who are i don't know compiling all the work and shit He's like, the greatest successes of science and scholarship come from these people, so you have to have the professors, you know. <laughs> people need to keep on throwing the ball along until the next genius comes along. And he says in this chapter, a genius is a once-in-a-generation thing. <laughs> like, oh, aren't we so lucky? We have Bezos, Musk, and Bill Gates, all geniuses. These people are propped up. Who's running the show? He's saying a real one. One in seven billion. Maybe these guys are philosophical laborers and they are the ones that are going to compile for the next group to come around. He said even Socrates' direct students weren't up to his level. So you can't bring someone up to the level of a genii. Teaching is an entirely different skill. So I guess this one is a shout out to the teachers. He's calling you the philosophical laborers. And he considers himself that, saying, we scholars. Nietzsche, he's urging you to remain critical and objective-spirited. So just look at yourself as a scholar. It's going to make you more on your toes throughout the day. The second kind of scholar he called strong-willed with intrepid skepticism. 
um, always questioning, seeking, and discovering. <laughs> He's just fucking putting people into more holes. Is this is it that easy to be a philosopher? Um, you know, you've had these professors, though, too. Like, the ones that do question everything. These were the most fun guys. I had Professor Ben Flurry Steiner. Bleep out the last name. This guy, he would smoke a bone before class and invite other students. And he would just get 30 people into a circle and he'd be like... Discuss minimum term drug laws. Discuss nonviolent offenses. <laughs> and then there were these kids in the major who were like, my morals for the masses need to be imposed on everyone. There were these little dictators. My dad was a cop. His grandpa hunted the slaves and brought them back to the plantation. It's in my blood. That's where cops come from, people. <laughs> it's amazing. Those were... Um, who's to say if I smoked a doobie with... The legendary Steiner. These types of academic scholars are needed. <laughs> that I would definitely waste a reincarnation at Socrates' Academy. <laughs> this guy. Oh, wait, no. They were doing all the little boy love. I thought it was going to be like Greek fraternities, right? <laughs> hey, it was socially acceptable. The mass moral. On a societal scale... He's saying it would work best if the philosophers were the legislators and the creators. We don't need to entertain these ideas. Go back to Plato's Republic. He's ripping that off now. Seriously, we need the... He called it the philosopher king. The people need to be totally detached from the squabbling of man in order to know how to rule each other best. Otherwise, you are going to be the self-interested squabbler also. So maybe it is good to have the elite class his example in the book was Napoleon he said the Napoleonic method of medals made it so people were um, competing <laughs> like um, it's a meritocracy you know you don't get paid like an Italian soldier for your bonus now you get a ribbon but it works <laughs> you get a blue check mark but can I make money can I start my own network now nope the purebreds that are looking out for your best interest say it's in your best interest to not be able to make money the creative instinct he said is a deeply subliminal will to power not a lot of people have access to it but it is a scholarly idea and something that you have to have a will to power to work towards that's what Stephen King was saying let's go on to chapter 8 second to last incel power a priest or a rabbi won't admit it, but there is an order of rank. Covered it before, even in the church. To have an effective church, church, you have to have a bureaucracy. A few criticisms here of mortal sins. He was just saying, again, with the murder, it's okay. Divine justice was invented so that people could falsely claim that we are all equal on a fundamental level. That's really calling out religion, divine justice. So that's how I was baptized. They're telling you, all babies are the Satan spawn. You have to dunk them in holy water to pure them of original sin. And he's going, this divine justice, whatever it is, it's just to brainwash us all into thinking that we're equal. Yeah, I just said that. We're not all equal, as many people will have you believe. This is the problem with our current form of socialism you know it's equity it's being told that we're all gonna get the ubi you 
end up on the same level versus a quality which is where you start on the same level and then it's a fair race from there but something fair about equity it's again handicapping the best he was suggesting that this was the way of the future and this is how incels rise to power <laughs> by fucking castrating your ability to get some divine justice your priest doesn't want you to get lady who didn't even let you masturbate <laughs> for instance self-effacement is always going to be a tool used by your master or your priest in this you know the fucking church tells you to scourge yourself uh your incel substitute teacher is gonna send you to the office if you have too much fun <laughs> this is just all angsty meets the encounter culture he talked about higher and lower cultures here and they come from spiritualization of cruelty. So much for seduction of language. Spiritualization of cruelty. Getting people over time to be accustomed to being spanked, being punished. You know, that's normal from a young age. You have to do penance, repent. You are evil, I will dunk you again in holy water. Nietzsche's last point here was even the freest of spirits reach bedrock in their search and it's about unveiling the mystique. So you don't want to, you want the mystery to remain. <laughs> His last quote is pretty deep on that. He said here, if we got any ladies who are still entertaining the idea of Nietzsche, toss your earbuds in a river right now. He says, direct quote, 1800s, women lack the subtlety and intelligence to make good cooks. Nietzsche, he's got his beer gut out. He's going, you can't even make me a damn sandwich right. Or what would he say? This strudel is first Reich material. <laughs> we learned in the feminine mystique how, um, <laughs> I mean, we don't need to make a deep point out of this. This guy was either super angrily gay or he just never got laid. There were probably dudes that died virgins back then. Pour one out. Oh, a little more coffee before chapter 8 peoples and fatherlands we do have one more after this I forgot and that coffee woo I could do 20 more chapters he says people and fatherlands this is the racism chapter heavy spirits spend half their time wallowing in the prejudices of narrow mindedness and nationalistic sentiment <laughs> Uh, like before, the militaristic man in times of peace is going to be at war with himself. He's saying nationalistic sentiment is mostly a distraction. You're an individual. You don't need to outsource your identity to a flag. You know, I wouldn't care if my fucking best friends took a mission to Mars. <laughs> Honestly, if they were a hobo in a box, I'd be like, good luck, bro. I, I have a dollar to spare. Guess you got my couch for a month. How much do you think the government gives a fuck about you? If I don't even care. I thought this was very funny. When Donald Trump was leaving office, think about how much stock people put in this guy. There's 70 million people that, let alone, left their house to vote for him. Just kidding, you don't have to leave your house. You could stuff ballot boxes now. These people put their entire identity around Donald Trump, the hats, the everything. And the last words this guy said when he was leaving office, January 20th, and then the states reopened... He goes, have a nice life. This is like the cool guy, the last house party of high school. 
He's like, I'm never going to see you fuckers again. And I know the administration hates all of us. They're trying to keep you down, even though I was cool with the janitors. Have a nice life. Who, who fucking knows? I'm not looking out for anybody anymore. Put all this stock into people, everybody. People are nationalistic to the end of time. At the end of the day, self-interest rules all. He said that the democratization of Europe is creating less decisiveness and fewer exceptional spirits. Less people are able to make up their minds. You see this nowadays. you got a bunch of fucking robots. And then uh, exceptional spirits. So this takes out the outliers as well. And <laughs> the European Union, they want this. They've been championing... Come colonize us, Muslims. Let's fucking shut down forever. Make Vax passports. Europe. Living in America. I'm still thinking we're one of the last bastions, even if we're being taken over by China. I got a little bit of nationalism left in me. I gotta squash it, according to Nietzsche. He talked about how Germans are mixed of many bloods, so we are very strong. He's saying that's why they have so many outliers. We learned about this in... Uh, urbanization all of that is due to the mixing of genes diversity is how we thrive even diversity of thoughts <laughs> people are saying there needs to be guardrails on the internet god damn we are definitely beyond good i think we are in straight up evil nietzsche said german literature and language are lacking a sense of rhythm and tempo i don't know man didn't they come up with, at my uh, museum growing up, there was this permanent exhibit of German music boxes. Oh, ooh, we have nothing to do today. Let us put tractor engine into a piano, yeah? <laughs> they, like, made those pieces of paper. You feed it through the machine. Imagine, <laughs> like, being the first guy in the studio with a Van Halen and they start playing Running with the Devil. Dun, dun, dun. You and the guy in the booth start bobbing your head looking at each other. This is it. That's the German guys. They have those fucking pedal pianos. <laughs> Look at each other. Is this music? Marty McFly, you're not going to believe what you're hearing. Germans have no sense of rhythm. Get out of here, Nietzsche. He said that the Greeks and the French are examples of feminine races. <laughs> The white flags. What, didn't the Greece, like, defaulted their own dollar? <laughs> it's not even like they were being invaded. No one was trying to claim their debt. <laughs> These feminine bitches were like, we're broke. Someone come save us. <laughs> and then you got the French. Those fucking frogs. The guys are wearing capris. <laughs> I can't trash them too much. Did you see the cops? I've been reporting on this for years. The yellow vest protests. The firefights join the protesters, and most recently the cops are now in the sides of the protesters. So the elites got their fucking pants around their angles over in France. Not very feminine there. He said Romans, Germans, and above all, the Jews are a masculine race. <laughs> it's, um, like I said, Hitler liked Nietzsche. He might have been paranoid reading this. The Nazi Reich was... Uh, designed after Roman architecture. What's that town? Ufen Dumplin Birenberg. It's where they used to have those uh, giant Nazi marches. They have a Roman Colosseum there, but it's made out of modern Nazi arch. Like it looks like it was built yesterday. The Nazi architecture. These motherfuckers built UFOs. They're on the moon. They're under Antarctica. 
<laughs> Nazi architecture. I would want to go to Germany just to see that shit, man. He said, um, the English, they were masculine for a while, but the Magna Carta basically ripped off Jean-Jacques Rousseau. <laughs> so he's like, you guys modeled your entire doctrine off of a feminine pussy French philosopher. You guys are pussies now. I wish he was writing about America. I want to clap back at Nietzsche. You sad piece of shit. What do you use for mustache wax? Come clap back. Nietzsche 2021. It's not the people who want the wars, though. He was saying it's your governments who want the wars, no matter if you're feminine or masculine. You wish that Nietzsche was around for World War One. He would have been a straight-up stand-up during that shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Friedrich Nietzsche. What is the best place to hide your money? Under a Frenchman's soap. Stand-up comedian Friedrich Nietzsche. Where else are you getting that? Yeah, he's a xenophobic, according to modern standards, but this guy just had opinions on different cultures. Taking us into our last chapter. Chapter 9. What is noble? He starts saying, I do not believe that all of these generalizations are the truth. And this is, I guess, a sneaky way to retract his compliments to the Jews. Otherwise, he would have been kicked out of Germany. His final thesis is how I love these evil thoughts that I have. We're back to the life in the gray, the nuance. These evil thoughts are what make him him. And you have to look beyond. You are not supposed to identify with your ideas. That's what a first thing a therapist tells you. Passing thoughts. Nietzsche is saying that's what makes you you, though. So don't self-censor. There's no... Society exists in order to create the few exceptional individuals. <laughs> you know, that's the crowning glory to society. We have toilet paper now. It's the few guys who invent some new shit. And we have the, all this suffering, all these people in fucking gutters, just so those few people can hopefully advance it. And he's saying, that's the truth, man. If you don't acknowledge that, don't try to tell me you're taking my guns away for the greater good. Don't try to tell me that you know best what I should eat, which isn't meat anymore. You're not allowed to. It's um all a distraction, except for the point that civilization is hopefully for those anomalous people to push forward the human race <laughs> how could you argue with that man you would need a whole night around a campfire it's almost a paradox he goes this many people can't exist without the few people that made it happen so it's like should there be this many people if it's just one guy that made it I'm hitting a bong Dude, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? I'm not going to get anywhere with these friggin' paradoxes. He's saying the masters, the people in the castles, there's always been a master race. The masters see themselves strong, healthy, and powerful, and good. Most importantly, more than anything, they see themselves as the saviors and the underclass as evil. I mean, think about it. To get by living a fucking... These people would rather be dead than be poor. To be a Dolomite, you have to tell yourself they're the evil ones and I'm the good ones. Dude, if you were into a fucking trust fund family, you would not be helping people. Let's be fucking real here. He's saying these... <laughs> they owe you nothing in total honesty. Why should a billionaire give you some of his money? He got lucky. Nothing's fair. 
telling people otherwise is a complete hijacking of their prefrontal cortex. You are using mind control on someone. Telling anybody anything beyond that is just like the news. Every day they should come on and say, the ruling class see themselves as all-knowing and correct looking out for the greater good. You know nothing. Thank you for tuning into the news. Now here is 20 people getting slimed on game shows. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I try to report on some of these futuristic elitist minds. These people really do think that robots are the greater good, the future of Earth. <laughs> Dude, how fucking hubristic that you think you know what's best for Earth in the long haul. I hope this thing chews us up and spits us out. I have a bunker in New Zealand with the elites. <laughs> Great example. Our concept of vanity is a combination of the master's inclination to think well of themselves and then the slave's sense of their own worth determined by the opinion of other people. He had a really good point about vanity there. And I don't know how much validity there is to that because even in the Greek time they were like sculpting really jacked guys. The only thing that's changed is now everybody's obsessed with chicks and <laughs> fake asses. How come Kim Kardashian is the pedestal, what everybody's aiming for? It's not even naturally attainable. And I could say the same for guys on anabolic steroids. What is noble? Is the pursuit of vanity noble? Why do? It's like the most stoic thing to try to be fucking be able to push the boulder up the hill. Be Mr. Universe. I guess it is the narcissism thing. You have to acknowledge that this is not the pursuit to have bodybuilding. <laughs> so bodybuilding is the narcissism of the weightlifting world. Like the stoic aspect, I guess I'm trying to troubleshoot here, is that you're going to lift again tomorrow. Like we said in that beginning chapter, greatness is the guy that shows up day after day after day. He ended on um, some like Dostoevskian points about suffering and suffering is what will heighten your consciousness this was the end of his first book before he wrote his little song here and he's trying to say like this isn't my best work the most beautiful free moving thoughts he said always escape expression he's like even I feel like my biggest ideas that I am trying to put into words I haven't been able to articulate yet that's why I'm saying we got to do three rounds of Nietzsche and then a second 2.0 of all of them. And a really good quote to end it. Touched on a lot of topics today, so I'm not going to be able to tie a bow on it. We'll leave it to Nietzsche. He drew a picture to end it. You're sitting on a bench. What else is there to do? <laughs> you could get angry trying to look at all the evil or delusional looking at all the good. Just vibe in the middle. He's saying you're sitting at a park bench. It's a fine day. There's a blue sky out. You're slowly doing a breath exercise. It's getting a little boring, as a life is. But you acknowledge that thought, let it pass away. And out of nowhere, you never see it, a golden finch starts fluttering by and it comes right in your line of sight. You have your gun on you. You're hungry. Maybe you shoot this bird. It is much more beautiful to watch this bird flutter around through the sky than to reach out and touch it. I don't know why he had to bring the gun into that analogy, too. He's always saying, um, don't acknowledge your dreams, like before. <laughs> but, uh, if you do manage to get your hands on the bird, it's not going to actually feel good or make you happy. <laughs> Nietzsche, he's, like, released some of his earlier essays at this point, and he's like, 
the mystery is what is so beautiful about the world. And you hear very wise older men going, as soon as you start to figure it out, you're fucking out of here. 80 years, that's not a long time. 75, if you're a fucking six and a half foot tall man like myself, that's my male privilege. I'm going to die super early. I think that's like a Hemingway quote. The second worst thing to happen to a man after achieving his dreams is recognizing that he's achieved it. Like, didn't Michael Phelps get severely depressed after he won his first Olympics? (laughs) What else is there to do? That's why he got torn down from Mount Olympus (laughs) for smoking reefer. Can't stay at the top forever, even Nietzsche saying that. There it is. Beyond good and evil, people. That was a hairy one. I probably overexposed too much. I hope I said some things that people are thinking that they thought they were alone with or haven't been able to articulate themselves. And um, I hope this gets you to pick up a Nietzschean as well and think a little bit, as well as a laugh. A joke light episode today. I told you we were talking about abortion. (laughs) But that's nihilism for you. We've done absurdism. We've done existentialism. Done stoicism. I hope I'm giving you guys a good palette of what there is out there. And for next week, we have a bonus edition. I think we're doing the Coronaversary. <laughs> I did my first live action video 2020 March when the whole bullshit was going down and not much has changed. You would think that we've maybe built a couple more hospitals and got more competent. <laughs> it's um, the usual over there, except for it's funny with the sound off. I'm fucking getting overworked, flailing my arms everywhere. We're getting jacked. April's Whiplift's gonna be all about lifting. Definitely get on the Patreon page. For mid-February, we had an entire mixed nonfiction, a propaganda in the public mind, Noam Chomsky full book is over there. That is right, completely exclusive content. It's a buck a month to become a supporting listener. And I put the effort in for those guys. I appreciate everybody who listens to the show will be on youtube you know where to find me in the meantime appreciate you all for opening your mind for some friedrich and i'll see you guys in a couple weeks my name is nick muniz peace